and welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm, of course, your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Cam Lewis. Cam, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing very, very well. Now, you know, normally we BS a little bit beforehand, but I think we're going to, you know, cut out the pleasantries, and we're going to go straight into the interview with uh, Matt Pfeffer. It was a great, fantastic interview, um, and uh, we don't want to, you know, take you away from it. So we'll be yeah, right back. Yeah, we feel like a... We feel like you'd uh, be a lot more interested in hearing what it's like behind the scenes of an NHL organization than what uh, Sam and I have to say about the league right now. So we'll take you to our, our, our interview. For sure. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello, and we are now joined by Matt Pfeffer, formerly of the Montreal Canadiens, currently with Hockey Canada as a statistical analyst, and formerly with the San Jose Sharks, a multitude of, uh, you know, he's a multitude of OHL teams. So there's a lot of hats that you've been wearing. Matt, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Uh, Cam's got the first question for you. Right. So, yeah, I figure we'll just jump into it. I guess we'll start with your background. What what was it that got you into ha- hockey analytics? I saw on your Hockey Graphs um, introduction post you said you wanted to make a case for Ilya Kovalchuk winning the Hart Trophy. Could you give some detail on that? <laughs> Yeah, well, I used to, uh, so I used to call in to the local sports station in Ottawa, uh, Team 1200, I don't know, when I was like 9, 10 years old. My dad probably uh, shouldn't have let me, but, you know, I, I used to listen to them and uh, have some hot takes, and, you know, I used to call in uh, uh, onto their radio show, and I remember my, my big thing was the campaigning for Yulia Kovalchuk as MVP. That would have been uh, 2003. Um, I think I mostly just thought that he was be he was underrated because he was playing in Atlanta, uh, but I I think most of my argument was based on points and goals and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, but that was that was uh, pretty young in terms of you know when I really started getting to get into it. Um, you know, I I started with uh, saber metrics in baseball um, around grade twelve. Uh, I think maybe in grade eleven I got the book Moneyball. Um, this was before the movie came out, maybe shortly before the movie came out, but, uh, yeah, I, I just fell in love with Moneyball, loved it. I, I know that, uh, you know, before I had read it, I, I had always been really interested in how teams work, how they make decisions at the front office level and, and kind of like, you know, how, how to go about evaluating different, uh, different types of players. And it, it just really appealed to me. So I, I started getting into um, sabermetrics and baseball. And then um, I went to Trent University in Peterborough. Um, and I, um, you know, I, I saw my opportunity there with the Peterborough Peets. Obviously, there's no baseball team, but uh, there was a junior hockey team. And I just said, you know, um, wouldn't it be great if I took some of the skills that I learned and from sabermetrics and try to apply it to hockey. So that, that was really the starting point for me. Um, I, I dove into hockey analytics at the time, you know, at the time it was a lot less, um, a lot less kind of developed. The community was smaller. Um, there was less people doing it. There was less stuff out there, but, um, yeah, I, I just jumped into that stuff and started working for the Peterborough Peets. Um, later I jumped over to the Ottawa 67s, um, and I, I've just been kind of uh, doing this line of work ever since. That's fantastic to see you go all over the place. I remember a lot of people were seeing your name, you know, bandied about, and people thinking, you know, who's Matt Pfeffer? Who, what, what is he doing? <laughs> you know, he's jumping from uh, place to place. 
what overall yeah. when people talk about uh, analytics, what what do you feel that uh, like you know the concept lets people see that uh, uh, it wouldn't you know, people wouldn't see otherwise, uh, at least from like an eye test perspective. Well, you know, um, especially starting out at the junior level, um, I sort of had to figure out for myself, uh, you know, how to figure out what was most important and and how I could try to really make an impact. Um, it's not always clear, and, you know, it always depends on your situation. Uh, you're right, you know, I've been in a lot of different places, and um, you gotta you got to learn sort of the... You just got to figure out the best ways to kind of apply the work you're doing and, and how best to present it. Um, I, I know that uh, there's there's a big reliance, uh, or I, I guess the word coursey and, and everything that comes with it sort of weighs heavily in the mind of, say, a lot of people in the NHL. Um, and and that, that could almost be a detriment because they now have so many different, um, they've heard so much about it and thought so much about it and you know, when I was starting, they didn't know anything about it. So it was almost easier because you could just come in and introduce everything to them for the first time. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to kind of figure out, um, like, what in what way do these people talk? Like, uh, you know, you got you to gotta figure out the language that these people speak and try to you know, communicate what you want to get across in that kind of language. Uh, so I, that's pretty important, I'd say. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, I write on Buckeye State Hockey uh, with Allison Lucan, and then there's actually a guy there who used to work in the hockey ops department for the Blue Jackets um, a little while back. So, you know, he ha- he's kind of given me some insight there, what's happening and, you know, how overall analytics has grown at the NHL level. But, you know, you have a unique experience, you know, hands-on, you know, being the person that delivers that to those uh, front offices, how accepted do you think uh, analytics are at the NHL level? And do you, how far do you think hockey has come? Do you think they're anywhere close to, uh, as, like, say, baseball? Uh, institutionally, no, it, it's not close to baseball. Um, you know, with one exception in the MLB, and actually now there's there's zero exceptions because the Arizona Diamondbacks front office has been uh, um, um, cleared. But uh, before that, there was one exception, and all, all other 29 teams had, you know, um, pretty pretty uh, uh, comprehensive analytics departments. And um, you, you could say that for the most part, with the, again, exception of a very few amount of teams, um, baseball front offices are, are oriented towards analytics. Uh, I, I think if you look at the current situation in the NHL, um, you know, every NHL team now kind of is willing to throw a little bit of money at analytics and, and willing to say that they have a guy. I think pretty much every team now, um, with the exception of maybe one, has something going on. Either they've, they're hired a company or they have somebody doing something for them. So it's sort of at the point now where teams recognize that they need somebody on staff, if, if not for anything else but appearances. Um but uh, certainly, front offices are not um, geared towards analytics. They sort of see it as a as a thing that they need to have, um, and um, the influence that analytics, you know, has among the teams is pretty variable. But but um, you know, if you look at a team like say the Florida Panthers, um, perhaps the Arizona Coyotes. There, there's few teams that you might say would be sort of geared towards analytics. And I, I think that's really what it takes because 
Um, you know, it's one thing to have an analytics guy on your on your you know staff and and work with him and listen to him, but um, at the end of the day, you know, this is a what we're talking about when we talk about analytics is you know probabilities of success and um, having a structure of decision making in your front office and to have analytics as a component um you know when we look at sports like baseball or, or say soccer that that's that's not really how you um can really make a difference with analytics it, it's got to be a, a full investment from the top down and we're starting to see that but it's certainly not uh it's it's not like it is in baseball for sure so um I guess kind of moving uh, further on from that, could you explain what it's like working in an NHL front office and what the role looks like on a day-to-day basis? Because I feel like there might be a little bit of confusion because, I mean, you mentioned Moneyball. We've all seen the movie. We've all read the book pretty much. And, you know, Jonah Hill's character, it paints kind of an odd picture as to what that role actually looks like. Can you kind of give more of like a day-to-day idea of what you did with Canadians? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I sort of came on with the Canadians. I, I kind of sold myself, you know, and, and they didn't have a clear idea of how they wanted to use analytics or sort of what role um, they were going to have. So I, I sort of had to invent my own work and try to figure out what the, the best avenues for implementing stuff that I wanted was going to be. So I, I really focused at the beginning on, on trying to figure out, you know, um, things, things that, that could have long lasting and, you know, effect and, and things that, um, that the, the team was going to listen to, um, or not, not, it's not so much about listening to, but it's something that they could use. You know, I, I was talking earlier about getting things in their language. Uh, I know one of my first days there, I met with the coaching staff and I kind of did a little presentation and, uh, you know, it didn't really go anywhere. And the reason it didn't go anywhere was because, uh, was because we weren't speaking the same language, you know? And, and, uh, um, so what I tried to do was to find ways, find sort of avenues where I could interest them, interest specific staff members, um, in things that I was doing, you know, um, I, I, Certain certain places, I, I felt like I did some really great work. You know, I, I had the opportunity to work with Trevor Timmons, uh, who runs the draft, and he's a really sharp guy. Um, and I, I felt like uh, we were able to build something really great um, together for the draft. Um, I got to work with Scott Mellenby um, on a on a project or two, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that I I really try to do is just just projects that could maybe pique their interest or something that they could use on a day-to-day bit, uh, basis that, um, you know, could penetrate. When you say working, when you say working on a project, you mean like what, what kind of, I guess, uh, what I'm kind of interested in hearing is, is that talking about like you're watching game take and tracking and then communicating that to the coach or is it more, you know, uh, scouting other teams as to who could possibly be acquired via trade or free agency or that kind of thing? Or I guess what kind of realm were you more involved in? Was it more the player personnel decisions or more on-ice coaching? Um, I, I was more involved in, in maybe the player personnel uh, front office um, staff. Uh, I, I communicated 
communicated with them more regularly. Um, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of things like reports. Um, you know, NHL teams have a lot of meetings throughout the year, not not about a specific uh, decision or player, but but more about kind of just. Um, you know, creating an overview of the team so far and where to go and possible steps to take in the future. Um, so I, I would try to, uh, a lot of the instances, you know, I'd try to create materials for that, for those kind of meetings. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, PDF reports. Um, I, I really like to work in Tableau. Um, so I, I would do a lot of visualization kind of stuff. Um, I, I found that to be pretty successful. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, you know, to kind of go back to the uh, your answer before this, you talked about you know communicating with different people. Was there ever like any time that you had trouble, uh, not necessarily getting your point across, but uh, having trouble with like the ver like the verbiage of it all? Like you know, sometimes people like hear Corsi and like they immediately just you know go deaf and they don't want to they don't want to hear about it. I know at least like from I brought it up before with the Blue Jackets, uh, they've been talking about shot attempts more, and that's something that you know a lot of times it would make people cringe when they were asked that in the past. Is there is there kind of a barrier there that still needs to be broken down, or is that something that if you like you find the sweet spot that um, people are generally pretty receptive? I think there can be. You know, um, um, Corsi has a very bad reputation among. Um, NHL coaches in particular. Uh, I think part of that is because they, they realize more than anybody else just how stupid it is. You know, when you talk about shot attempts to them, I mean, they watch all the games, they know hockey, and they know that they know how much you'd be missing uh, if you're just looking at shot attempts. I think what, um, what they, they almost have, what they don't have perspective on is sort of the long-term uh, evaluation and the the benefits of having sort of a long, longer sample size to work from, um, and that's that's first of all, it's not their job as coaches. Uh, as coaches, what you need to do is look at individual mistakes that led to goals, or vice versa, I suppose. Um, but uh, look at individual things on the ice that happened and, and try to uh, correct them. Whereas, you know, so there's a strong emphasis on a coach to sort of look at play by play, minute to minute on the ice, which things are going on and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the thing about Corsi is that you have a lot less precision when it comes to uh, evaluating individual shifts or individual plays. You basically, we basically don't know what's happening. You know, on ice, is, uh, on ice stats are... are a measurement of, of results, and we we can't say anything about what transpired on the ice. But but the benefit obviously comes with the uh, huge sample size that a person simply can't uh, a, a person can't watch a, a full season of a player and kind of say, oh, was he at fifty two percent Corsi? Was he at fifty one percent Corsi? Um, so these are the benefits of Corsi and, and Corsi like stats, I guess, to, I guess is what I mean to say. Um, and this is sort of the problem communicating to coaches is that you can't, is that you're talking two different things. You're, they're talking about what players are doing, um, that leads to success on the ice. And what you're talking about is, um, evidence of success with a worse metric than obviously a, a scout's or a coach's eye, 
but more precision in terms of um, the amount of sample size. So how, I guess, do you, uh, I guess for the future of analytics in hockey, how do you work past the preconceived biases that people have, especially, you know, you're working with a coach, for example, that played 15 years themselves in the NHL and has decades of hockey experience. Like, how do you tell them and get them to ever accept that a large chunk of what they think they know is just not necessarily the correct way to analyze talent? Well, looking at baseball, you know, it was the managers, this being the uh, on-field managers in baseball, that are were sort of the last to come around to analytics. And in fact, if you look at baseball today, uh, plenty of managers are what you would you, what you may call um, anti-analytics or analytics ignorant. Um, I think that that the progression will probably be similar in hockey, in which the analytics really penetrates at the front office level. And um, coaching sort of remains um, um, more conservative, and there will be sort of a second wave, uh, second revolution that sort of uh, advances coaching. Uh, But this will be after there's a full kind of um, once once uh, um, management is across the league is sort of geared towards analytics. I don't think there's any reason that sort of a non-analytics coach can exist in a front office um, that's dominated by analytics, which I, I assume to be coming much quicker than coaches' uh, decisions being dominated by analytics uh, if we look at baseball. How about... I mean, um, oh, sorry, go on. I, I, I was just going to say that, you know, like, uh, um, it, 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 it can be hard, and there's also not a whole lot to be done right now with the on-ice data. You know, I, I think what you'll find across the league is that um, it's the coaches that are a lot more interested in the new types of data, such as sports logic, uh, other sort of video tracking um, data, because this data is much more relevant to them. Um, and there's not much to tell them when it comes to on-ice data. You know, uh, on a game-to-game basis, um, what a coach watches during a game is is much more useful information than, than what can be gleaned from Corsi. Um you know, with some exceptions, um, but basically, I, I think that's true. You know, uh, the the data that we collect and the sort of analytics that we do in the public sphere is is really all um, is really all much more useful when it comes to front office decisions, figuring out how good a player is, as opposed as opposed to questions of you know deployment. Beyond figuring out how good each player is, um, there's not a whole lot on ice. Um, analytics can do for us right now to be honest i guess uh, uh furthermore on that you said that um the last line of embracing the analytics renaissance in baseball was managers which i agree with but also what about players is that even something that you yourself bother to think about like i mean i i mean in your in your time in any of the organizations that you worked with in any capacity did you communicate with a player saying you're possession numbers are x y and z and this means that um sort of yeah you know i I had a close relationship with some of the players when i worked uh with the ottawa 67s uh i would try to keep them informed try to show them what they're doing you know overall players tend to have a rather anti-analytics uh bias i i know there's some guys like i don't know was it bobby ryan who said something just win baby yeah yeah that's the famous quote just win baby 
<laughs> yeah, I, you know what? Um, their job is to play hockey. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, a, analytics analytics is a very, very particular and sort of peculiar thing to uh, like and sort of be be really into in in a sport. And I don't think that it's uh, it would be. Um, I don't think that a player has an obligation to really follow or care about analytics. That's asking a whole lot. Uh, again, to go back to baseball, you know, there were some early uh, adopters. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple names, but, you know, there were some guys that, that embraced analytics. Oftentimes, I think you'll find it's the guys whose analytics deem them to be underrated. Um, but, you know, uh, I... Yeah, I I wouldn't worry. I don't I don't worry so much about the players, um, and then they'll definitely be even later than the managers um, when it comes to embracing or sort of understanding or following the progression of analytics. Um, and I think that if that'll ever ever change, it'll be because um, analytics begins to take on a more prominent role in arbitration cases. Uh, I I would think that that would be the thing that really. Um, makes hockey players as familiar with sort of the new analytics as they are with, say, uh, goals and points, which is how they're paid um, or, or, you know, what their pay scale is based on at the moment. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the coaches uh, give them the players the structure, the players go out there and play, but do you think that there are any analytically-based, like, in-game strategies that, you could, uh, that could be advantageous to a team's success? That uh, coaches that could try it, or maybe that will, will never try it, but it's something that would be interesting to see, you know, in theory. Absolutely, you know, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, I'm I'm an enthusiast of soccer tactics, um, and I follow, um, you know, the progression of soccer tactics pretty closely. And I think that there definitely will be a time when um, the pace of evolution in hockey. Um, on tact- tactically speaking, is going to really start to speed up, and we're going to see um, different different sort of styles of play that are um, you know um, more visibly different from each other than we see in today's NHL. You know, basically, we can talk about different team style and play, but with the exception of perhaps the Los Angeles Kings, I mean, uh, it's pretty homogeneous out there. Um, teams teams don't. Um, have a lot of variance when it comes to um, their style of play. Um, if you look at a sport like, say, soccer, where, um, well, first of all, there's a, there's a ton more teams and they're playing in isolated places. Um, um, you see, you see soccer slowly. Well, not slow. You see soccer changing at a much quicker pace than than hockey's currently pay, uh, changing right now. And I think that um, hockey's going to reach a point. Um, when, when it, when it will start to change, you know, I, when it comes to analytics, it's interesting, um, how much, how much analytics informs the way tactics are going to go in hockey really depends on the quality of the data. I think that what we really need in the NHL, um, is a, is a sort of, uh, a system of data collection that everyone uses, uh, at least all the teams use, you know, when you look at the NBA and the way that um, SportsView uh, tracked all the games and gave all the data to the league, 
Um, I think that was really important because that's the sort of data that you can make tactical decisions with. Um, you're talking about X, Y coordinates at every tenth of a second. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to work with some of this stuff when I worked at Power Scout, and with that kind of data, you can create systems, you can evaluate uh, systems, you can look at um, the way certain movements of a of a particular player changes the um, you know the probability of a goal being scored. I mean, so those those are the sort of data that you need to really um, make an impact. And I think, you know, it may be some time before we get a system as advanced and comprehensive as SportsView in the NBA. Uh, I, I know right now um, there's a lot of competitors out there and the market's split between a bunch of different companies. Um, and um, it's it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard for teams to build on something and, and start to build some infrastructure with that data when the future of these of um, of camera tracking technology in the NHL is so unclear. There was one thing I saw you say on Twitter. It, it was a while ago because I was just looking at your feed today. But you said um, you want to see a team run with a, a guy that kind of cherry picks around the blue line. Can you explain yes. that? Can you explain that whole thing? Well, so this is an idea I've had for a long time. Um, you know, um, in the future, I, I might, I would like the opportunity to coach a, a hockey team, um, and I am exploring opportunities at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, one one sort of style of play that I would at least like to see attempted would be to have a cherry picker. You know, I, I kind of pose the question like this: if you could play on the penalty kill. Um, the whole game, except that every time you cleared the puck, you got a breakaway, would you do it? And <laughs> if you think of it like that, you know, so in other words, what you have is um, four men in your end, and their only job is to try to uh, get a hold of the puck and, and shoot it down the ice for a forward who's standing at the opposition blue line. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting for a lot of reasons, but um, especially because when you look at hockey, um, there's a, there's, not a whole lot of depth uh, when it comes to the formation of players. Um, hockey is a very tight game, and most players are within, I don't know, uh, 30, 35 feet of the puck at all times. Um, you know, you look at a, a sport like soccer, um, there's a lot more depth to play, and, and players cover spe more specific parts of the uh, field of play. You know, in, in hockey, what I would like to see is a team try to stretch their play a little bit more so that you have, um, you know, create passing lanes and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, I, I really like to see it tried. I, I've talked to some coaches and they say, well, you know, it would never work. And some other people will say, uh, you know, well, of course the other team would adjust if you just hung a man at the, at their blue line waiting for a breakaway, of course the other team would adjust and do something about it. And I say, well, of course, and what would they do? I mean, it would just be super interesting to watch and see. So, yeah, you know, I, whenever I get a hold of a uh, team to coach, uh, you'll be seeing that. Did you, uh, you, did you suggest that to uh, Michelle Terrian? I did not, no. I kept that in my back pocket. Uh, maybe, maybe, if we, um, uh, maybe if, if we developed sort of a closer relationship, I would have brought it up, but... Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's something I definitely like to see. I kind of I call them a striker, you know, somebody that's uh, hanging around um, 
in behind the defenseman. Um, you, you don't, yeah, you, you don't really see it because uh, um, um, players players sort of all have a defensive responsibility. And although it's you know, coaches say that centers have a more uh, greater defensive responsibility than wingers. It's not really true. What really ends up happening in the defensive zone is that it's just a mad dash to retain the puck. And, um, you know, I, I think that having a, a more nuanced kind of structure so that when you do uh, retain possession of the puck in your end, you have somebody that uh, has not been um, or is somebody that's in possession to make uh, make a break. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see it. It would lead to high, a higher scoring games if, uh, if both teams were doing it. So hypothetically, let's say that... Um you suggested this uh, to like the Habs when you were working there and they were like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And they wanted you to kind of uh, put together a plan. Like what, what player would you build that around and how would you like, who would you want to see in that situation? Yeah. Well, there's two, (laughs) I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let you guys know how much I've thought about this with this answer. So this is going to be embarrassing. But, you know, it's, there's, there's two sort of schools of thought. It, you know, when you think about a striker in soccer, you have a big uh, target man kind of guy. Uh, and then you have sort of a more speedy, smaller kind of guy. For me, you know, you're going to have two separate situations. You're going to have one where you blast him the puck, but uh, he's, he's going to have to receive it with his back facing the net. And he's going to be a guy that um, feeds it off or sort of holds up the ball uh, the puck for wingers uh, for the two wingers coming in uh, to try to dish it off to them. So you would want a more target man, big forward kind of guy for that. Somebody that can um, get control of all these loose pucks and kind of dish it off with his back towards the net. And then the other kind of style of play you could have with this hypothetical position would be a, a just an out and out breakaway score, your best breakaway score. Um, another big kind of um, advantage to this style of play would be that you can just play your, your say, three best players playing that position at all times. So instead of having them all on the first line, you would have four, two sort of defensive third-line-y kind of forwards as your defensive zone penalty killer kind of guys, and you'd have your three best players on that position so that your best offensive players would always be getting the scoring opportunities um so that that's another benefit as well so, so, what, that, so what you're saying is that it would be galchenyuk pacioretty and gallagher got it we all right you, you don't have to say it. we can yeah. read between the lines well there's here. also there's also byron <laughs> byron's a hell of yeah, a skater that's and, true uh, he uh, he can get he gets breakaway opportunities already all the time so uh he might also be a good fit for that kind of position now that's you you talked a little bit earlier about how, you know, talking to the players, talking to the coaches, and I think overall, a lot of times, at least in hockey Twitter sense, is that a lot of sweeping generalizations are made. Uh, I know, for instance, when Tyler Dello was with the Oilers, the people were like, you know, how how could they not listen to him? How could they not do that? Is there, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, how how... Is that from like a hockey personnel point of view? How can people understand to like that things are more nuanced and not so black and white? I think I don't sure, think people yeah. really understand Sorry, how like how many people go into a decision. 
Yeah, it's kind of a shame so many people do go into a decision, uh, you know. Um, but, you know, it's true that there's sort of a, uh, you know, there's it's a business and, and, and there's a lot of people that work inside the team trying to contribute to making decisions, um, you know, for, for better and for worse. I think um, team, uh, teams un- or, you know, people on Twitter undoubtedly over estimate how much influence uh the team statistical analyst has on day-to-day decisions you know people created fantasies where you know like i i stormed into a room with a report in my hand saying suban's better than weber kind of thing you know that's not really how these things go down um you know i, I would say that uh <laughs> Statistical analysts, and I don't want to speak for Tyler Dello in the Edmonton Oilers situation uh, or my situation in for particular, sure. but they don't, you know, um, it, people are often hired, uh, but, you know, not, like you said, you know, there's a lot of people in the room, and um, when even if you're an analytics guy and you're bringing something completely different to the table, in these types of situations, you're you're usually just another guy. So, you know, you might be the only guy with with actual data, but you're sitting in a room with 18 guys who all want to get a word in. You know, you're one out of 18. So um, you're kind of uh, you're, though, you're kind of like in a in the scene in Moneyball when they're in Shapiro's office, and uh, they all they all do that telephone game part where they eventually Jonah Hill says you can't trade that relief pitcher. You're kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I wish. I wish they'd listen to the uh, Jonah Hill type. And by the way, just the thing about that movie, you know, if if everyone in Cleveland was listening to the Jonah Hill type, why <laughs> why did they let him go to the athletics? Yeah, that, that's, why, a, that's a good question. And, and why, why are they letting him now be the GM of the Browns, right? <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, um, it's listen, it's a process when it comes to implementing analytics in the NHL, uh, it takes a lot for an NHL team to hire, you know, 20, early 20 somethings like me, um, and even listen to us at all. It's, it really shows how far this kind of, uh, this, uh, thing has gone and how far it's penetrated. That's really how I think about it. You know, uh, teams certainly don't want to take advice from 21 year olds, uh, when it comes to running their, their front office, but they've been forced to because, you know, we are the experts and we've been proven time and time uh, again to be right and to know more. So, you know, it's it's going to take time and there's there's going to be sort of waves of pushback. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if we, if we look at the evidence, analytics, whenever there's some sort of divide between analytics and the NHL consensus, analytics is always right. Uh, literally, literally almost without, without fail. And that's going to continue to happen and it's going to happen more often with better data and, uh, advances in the, um, in the quality of the, of the analytics out there. And, um, you know, eventually every single front office will be run by analytics types like me. Can't wait. So was there a, is there uh, was there a situation in Montreal where you had a hand in a in decision making, like a roster decision or anything like that, that you're particularly proud of, or think like, "Wow, I really got my voice heard here"? Uh, yeah. Well, the one I was happiest about probably would have been—I uh, well, shouldn't say it—Alexander Semin, um, 
you know, I, I really loved Alexander Semen. Uh, there's basically no statistical sort of model out there right now that doesn't think Alexander Semen's one of the best players in the league. You know, you look at all the way back to uh, War on Ice's wins above replacement. Um, Alex Semen was very high up there. Um, Emmanuel Perry's K uh, manuscript, he had um, he had Alexander Semen very high. I haven't checked for sure, but I, I can assume that uh, DTM's new war also rates Alexander Semen very high. You know, at the end of the day, um, there's basically nothing you can do that, that doesn't rate Alexander Semen as a phenomenal hockey player based on, based on the data that we have. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that he is. But what it means is when we try to apply the best statistical methods for uh, evaluating hockey players on average, so it might not perfectly apply to Alexander Semin, he might be an exception. But when we when we try to build something that does the best on average, Alexander Semin is always near the top. And um, and um, I was ecstatic uh, when the Montreal Canadiens signed him. I thought it was a great deal. You know, it didn't work out um, for whatever reason. Uh, I you know I was disappointed obviously that it didn't work out, but I think that um, when you make bets like that, uh, they they tend to work out more often than not. You know, I, I if you ask me what I think about him as a hockey player, I I'd say he's still pretty good, um, and he definitely deserves a spot in the NHL. But you know what? Um, yeah, it didn't work out in Montreal. Another one, um, I don't want to take too much credit, act like, you know, like I said, you know, analysts don't have a ton of power, but um, Alex Radulov is a player that I really liked. Um, and that wasn't just me. You know, the everyone in the Montreal Canadiens loved Andrew, uh, Radulov. Um, and, you know, he was a guy that, that we, we really pushed hard on. Um, and... Uh, I have some analytics on the KHL, and, you know, as you'd expect, uh, just like uh, in regular statistics, I mean, he's phenomenal. Um, and I was really happy to see the Canadians sign him this year, and I'm really happy to see how much of an uh, instant impact he's had, too. So, I guess uh, Alex Semin and Alex Radulov, I mean, both, like, tremendously skilled and good players. Like, I agree with you completely. But both, if we're being honest, have a not great reputation around the league, I think. How was it that you use the data to kind of coax or I'm not going to say coax to, to push them into making those decisions. Like how did that, how did, I guess, how did that look? Yeah. Well, you know, um, my job with the Canadians really was not one of, um, trying to convince them to do stuff. You know, I, I really just tried to, um, you know, provide my perspective and, um, I, I didn't really, I didn't try to, like, um, I didn't try to campaign for the players in that kind of way. You know, I, I really just saw my job there as trying to keep them informed of what I thought were good deals or what I thought were good ideas, you know, like, um, um, and the people above me, you know, would try to communicate those ideas into, uh, or, or try to contribute it to the decision-making process overall. You know, you, we were talking about Dello earlier and the Oilers and, when it comes to how decisions are made in the NHL, you know, it's, it's a big process and it involves a lot of smart people. So, um, but yeah, I, for me, I campaigned a little bit for those guys, but my job really was to, um, you know, communicate ideas to sort of my superiors and then try to get it, try to get it into the conversation that way. 
But, you know, with Radulov in particular, there was a real consensus, I think, um, that this was a star player that, you know, uh, everyone in the Canadians would have loved to have. Was there a player that you campaigned? I guess this is probably uh, a bit too have much to ask, but is there is there a player you really campaigned for that there was just like there was just no way and they just wouldn't hear it at all? Um yeah, well you know what, like um if I'm like uh uh I was kept informed as to, you know, what, what they were thinking about and what they were doing and sometimes, you know, there's there's um there's a strong analytical case to be made against a player. Um and when that happened I tried to do it. I tried to be objective. Um, and, you know, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes, you know, in the current environment, the analytical argument is not, is not going to win out. Um, and, uh, you know, I respect that about the Canadians. Um, you know, one of the most important things I'm learning working in the NHL is that, you know, it's important to understand your place as an analytics person and, and how much influence you can kind of, um, exert at any given time for sure and then this is the last question for me matt and i I really appreciate you uh for coming on um back at the uh rochester analytics conference in uh fall 2015 you said always remember that you're probably wrong um (laughs) you know how hard is it at least overall for someone who's analytically based to you know admit that someone you know that that you're wrong in a situation obviously you brought up the alexander Semen situation it didn't come to the conclusion that you know obviously you or the team would have hoped is there is there is there and this is a tough way to word it but is there ever a good moment to say you know own up and say hey i'm wrong the numbers bear this out but for whatever reason the way that the structure of the team um, isn't really you know making it happen is do you think that's a that's a good application of that quote or do you think that there's you know multiple ways that that could be applied sure yeah you know i think um i think it, it's it's important to realize uh when it comes to analytics that um that this is this is a game of probability and what you're really doing when i what i was talking about you know when you say you know uh, you're you're usually or you're probably you're probably wrong is is um is that the the basis for your argument is probably can is is almost there's almost definitely information vital information that you are not considering and that's because of the current quality of the data and no matter, no matter how good the data is that'll always be true and so when i make judgments based on analytics i'm talking about probabilities so you know you you take a look at Corsi and and you say you're looking at a guy's Corsi versus goal differential. Um, you might not know if, if his Corsi is a better indicator of his true talent than his goal differential at any given time. But you, if you had to bet across the board, you know, the bet would be on Corsi. Although, of course, we know there's going to be players where that's not the case. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important to... And I think it's more important for teams than analysts to understand this, is that... It's not about um, getting it right every single time, and it's not about um, you know this specific doctrine of analytics being the true way to think about hockey. You know, and I, I think that's what a lot of people in hockey worry about is is that what we're saying is that shots on target is the most important thing, or that you have to get shots right. And that's not what we're saying at all. What we're really saying is a comp- is 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 coming from a completely different place, which is if you have to bet 
this the the odds are that this player is better than this player given these circumstances. And that's kind of a different thing in a different way than NHL teams think about their players and think about roster decisions, you know. Um, so, you know, when it comes to Alexander Semin, again, you know, it's just a question of probability. Um, and when you look at the odds, the odds are th- is that he's a very good hockey player. But, of course, there's some probability that it's, the statistics are are not indic- indicative of his true talent at all. In fact, you know, you take a sample of 600 hockey players, there's going to be one or two or three that have, you know, um, what appear to be fantastic um, statistics from an analytical perspective, but are actually terrible hockey players. Um, and that's, you know, it's entirely possible that that was the case with Alexander Semin. But it, it it doesn't it doesn't you know what you know what I'm saying it doesn't negate uh, the overall uh, kind of thing. Yeah, the sentiment there totally. I get yeah. that. And um, now before we let you go, Matt, we want to give you an opportunity to plug whatever you'd like. Um, obviously, uh, you have some work that you said you're gonna be putting out in hockey graphs. We talked about that you know off the air beforehand. Um, is there you know where, where can we find you on Twitter? Is there anything that you're working on currently that you uh, you want to the uh, hockey sphere to keep an eye out for well uh my twitter is matt pfeffer hky uh pfeffer spelled p-f-e-f-f-e-r if i can i'd like to give a shout out to uh don't tell me about hearts new war his series is up on uh hockey graphs i believe it's in six parts you know i'm really excited about war uh wins above replacement and where it's going with hockey i think one of the most important things uh, when it comes to the establishment of um, analytics inside of the NHL, is going to be wins above replacement. And uh, I'm really excited to see that. Um, DTM's article is really great, um, and I would encourage everybody to go to go read it. It's the, uh, the dawn of a new era for hockey analytics, I really think. That's cool. Fantastic. That's well, Matt, we, we really appreciate you for coming on, You know, being open and honest with us. And uh, we hope to have you on uh, sometime again soon, hopefully later on in the year. Anytime. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Thank you. Thank you.